Welcome to The B-Sides, a podcast for progressives who love pop music. We're your hosts. I'm Hannah. I'm Mimi. And I'm Becky. Tune in for new episodes every other Wednesday to hear our conversations on pop's place in our world. And the music you should put in your ears to fuel your reckoning with the trash fires all around us. Thanks for tuning in. Here we go. Welcome to The B-Sides. Hello. Hello. Hello again. Hi, everyone. We are a podcast for lefties, progressives who believe that pop music matters. And we're so glad you're here. So subscribe if you haven't already. We come out every other Wednesday. So subscribing not only makes it easier to keep up, but this is, is this our second to last episode of the season of season two? Yeah, it is. Penultimate. Penultimate. This is the penultimate episode of season two. I don't think we've really announced that so much. So if you're listening to this, uh, yeah, breaking news. So we appreciate you subscribing, especially so that if we come out with an emergency episode or when we launch season three, eventually it'll, will be, will be in your, in your sweet little podcast app. Um, and that also makes it even more exciting and hopefully important to, um, open up the description of this episode because you'll find other ways to join our internet home, which take the form of a Discord, a Facebook group, and an Instagram, a Patreon, a Twitter, all that good stuff. We'd love to see you, especially between seasons um, on other parts of the internet. Um, this was a big week because Spotify wrapped happened. Yeah. Did it really you, did. It really did. I, we, we released also, it's not too late. I think in my opinion, we released on our Instagram, like a template that you can use to share your Spotify wrapped. Did Becky Mimi, did you find anything interesting on your Spotify wrapped? No, (laughs) I thought that I listened to remember this by the Jonas brothers enough time that it was going to be in the top five, but Taylor Swift took it. Yeah. She takes things. I think she probably did for all of us. And that doesn't even factor in red Taylor's version, but, um, I thought the, I thought the like new aura yeah, analysis was interesting and I don't know what to make of it. We had the same one, Mimi. We were both wistful and focused. We were. Becky, mine, do you remember? Yeah. I think mine was wistful something, but I don't remember okay. what. I wonder if Taylor Swift is wistful and like that's oh, how they code it. Yeah, that's probably... Also, I actually had a question for Spotify um, in that my top genre was dance pop, which makes sense to me, but Evermore were all of my top songs and that's not dance pop, but I, mean, I wonder- I, I think you can dance to Darthea. True. <laughs> I, but I guess they must code Taylor as dance pop always, I guess. That- or- seems well okay I think maybe that seems right they do get I can imagine Spotify getting kind of like lazy yeah yeah with that or like maybe you listen like those are your top five songs were Taylor but like besides those the everything else you listen to is dancey pop so number like six was up. levitating by Dua Lipa okay which I'm also not surprised I'm also was actually surprised that it wasn't in my top five as I listened to that song I thought I listened to it more than I listened to Willow, but I guess not. Mine was, um, I think my top song was driver's license. Mm. I actually forget now I should go back and see, but it was definitely Olivia. Mine was alter by Kalani, which I've been talking about, but, um, 
I also think all the memes around Spotify, which I sent yeah. to you both, or you probably saw elsewhere anyway, about like the language that they use, which was just like very um uh like trending language of 2019, basically, which in some ways made me feel that culture stopped for the last two years. And in some ways, obviously it has not, but I was just like, why are they talking to us like this? <laughs> you know? Yes. I saw yeah. a pretty good TikTok that was kind of making fun of like a millennial who was probably trying to design like the Gen Z language of Spotify wrapped. Uh, yeah. And the really ugly graphics with like dance pop show tunes. <laughs> like it was, yeah. it was like on like kid pics art. It was really bad. Yeah. I saw a meme that was like graphic design is my passion <laughs> for those top five. I love that. I love that. Yeah. Spotify wrapped is, I, f- I have a very loaded relationship with it. Um, as I've talked about on this podcast before, I didn't look at anything except for my top five. I didn't want to know anything else. I just feel too. I don't want to know. I don't know what I've been up to. I don't, <laughs> I don't want to engage in self-reflection. I don't need that. None of that. Um, also I think that I just like, I'm really excited and feel a lot of types of ways about how we made a bunch of people's top five podcasts. And that was like the best thing ever. First of all, because I didn't know people listen to podcasts on Spotify. (laughs) And number two, to have so many of you be sharing that um, we made it to your top five podcasts of the year. That's like unbelievable to me. So thank you. Yeah, that was really sweet to see. And we appreciate it. And on the app we use to upload our podcasts, which of course, if you listen before, you know, is Anchor. Mm -hmm. Um, They, because they're connected with Spotify, they have their own kind of Spotify wrapped. And I think we were at the, we were the top podcast for like 48 people, which feels (laughs) like quite a bit for this little project we started. Number Um, one. Yeah. That's like huge. Yeah. So that's, really sweet and even if you know whether or not we were your number one or made your rankings at all we appreciate uh everyone who listens yeah on spotify or elsewhere this is not we are not are we sponsored by spotify (laughs) in a way i don't know i'm scared (laughs) yeah seriously if you can hear us we love you thank you um, which also takes us, I think, to the last piece of housekeeping um, before we get into today's topic, which is connected to today's topic. So as you all know, we are obsessed with our Discord. We launched a few months ago. It's still like relatively new for us. For me personally, it's the first Discord I've ever been on. So it's still like a new kind of part of the internet for me. Um, but I definitely recommend you joining it if you haven't already. And we'll put the the link to join in, in the show notes because this episode was heavily, heavily um, supported by, influenced by a really thoughtful and nuanced conversation that we were able to have on Discord. And I feel like that's a really special kind of feature of Discord is being able to have like really interesting discussions. And we put also um, the syllabus for this episode in Discord. As you know, we've started to play with the idea of dropping a syllabus before a, a few days before an episode drops so that you can do some homework beforehand and listen. If you don't, if you didn't do your homework today, you'll still enjoy the episode. But if you did, I think you'll get even more out of it. And all of our syllabi from now on will be in Discord. So join us. So today we are going to talk about Taylor Swift. 
it's not ethical. It's not to speculate on celebrities, sexualities, but it feels so intoxicating. And in some moments it feels almost righteous to speculate about Taylor Swift's personal life, especially when she invites deep speculation into her own discography and into all the text she puts out into the world. So it's very complicated. What's a progressive to do? Let's, let's tackle this question. We're going to tackle it today in four parts. Part one, why it is actually harmful to speculate about anyone's sexuality. Part two, and our meatiest part, Taylor's own history on this issue and what her Easter eggs have done to completely melt our brains. Part three is going to be some history, including the history of closeted celebrities and other open secrets in Hollywood. And part four is going to be our shortest part, trying to land on some actual truths about Taylor. Like, what do we know? And then we're going to end with our new favorite segment. What are you listening to? Where we will answer the question. What are you listening to? (laughs) So let's get into it. Part one. I know places we won't be found or we need to stop speculating. Okay, so to start, we want to be clear right away that it's harmful to speculate about someone's sexuality, choosing whether, how, in what cases, and in what context someone comes out is a highly personal and political decision. Speculating about whether or not someone is gay rips that agency from them. It can put them in harm's way. It can discount the emotional work of trying to, quote unquote, pass as straight. As part of the syllabus for this episode, we suggested reading a Teen Vogue article called The Danger of Speculating Someone's Sexual Identity, which was actually written with Harry Styles in mind. They organized the article in some main points that we agree with, such as speculation contributes to a cultural culture of erasure. No one owes you an explanation for who they are and outing someone can cause them harm. Yeah, this article also quoted Rory Gorey, safe messaging expert at The Trevor Project, And Rory said here, it's never okay to tell a person what their gender identity or sexuality are before they've defined themselves or chosen to disclose, even if you're trying to demonstrate your support for LGBTQ people. Exactly. And I think this can be hard. Um, I think that avoiding speculation can be tough for queer and straight progressives who want to counter the fear and shame and stigma surrounding queerness and who also want to counter the idea, the false idea that queerness is rare. So for those reasons, it can be really like fun or feel really right to speculate. Um, And in the long term, I am excited to hopefully live in a world where people come out as whatever they are, right? Like queer, bi, pan, or coming out as straight. There's no understood default. Um, And I believe that queer folks are building that world and imagining that world every day, but we're not there yet. So I saw a TikTok that tried to push back against this point a bit by arguing that if, for example, this specific argument was saying if folks were speculating on Taylor Swift's virginity, especially in the um, uh, after Taylor's Taylor's version of Red came out, why not on her sexuality as well? And I understood, I like, I understand that point. I understand where it's coming from, but I have three issues with that take that I want to share. First, I actually think it's probably not chill to speculate about Taylor Swift's virginity. So like, great, done. Let's not do that either. (laughs) Secondly, normal non-famous people can get hurt 
when speculation about sexuality is encouraged and seen as normal. So it's bigger than one celebrity. It's bigger than Taylor Swift. And finally, um, my third issue with that take was that speculation about Taylor's sexuality specifically implicates others. So yes, like speculating about her virginity does implicate John Mayer and Jake Gyllenhaal, but the truth would never harm them. It, it, Jake and John would feel no, or whoever, whatever, would not be harmed by that speculation. But the truth um, could and has harmed the women that Taylor Swift may or may not have dated. So that's why it's different to me than just why, can't, if we're speculating about this, why can't we speculate about that? Do you all I think that's, that? yeah. Yeah, I think that's such a great point in the way that that speculation can actually just like exacerbate patriarchy and the power dynamics that already exist. So a listener, Maggie, named Maggie, shared in our Discord the following, said, I definitely think it's a difficult topic to talk about as a 1D fan veteran, in parentheses, LOL. I am very jaded by this because of all the bullshit Louis and Harry dealt with despite continuously asking people to stop. My opinion on it is simple. I don't care and I try not to engage with it in public spaces, but I will chat with people in person because gossip is gossip. But at the end of the day, it's none of my business and no one owes anyone any clarity about their sexuality that they aren't comfortable with sharing or just don't want to talk about. I am attracted to men and women, but I don't really like labels because they make me feel bound to something and that makes me anxious. So that's another thing that plays into me not engaging. Uh, Labels aren't comforting for everyone and we shouldn't be so insistent on wanting to give them to people. I think that's a great point. And for context, when Maggie said she's jaded about 1D, she is referring to the intense speculation that Louis Tomlinson and Harry Styles were together. And I think a lot of that played out on like Tumblr at the time. That's kind of like it was like peak Tumblr era, I think. Yeah, that's like the arena for a lot of this was Tumblr, now TikTok. Yeah. Um, So the question for this episode then is, like if that's our if those are our values is that speculating is harmful why can't we just put a boundary up for ourselves and say okay speculation about sexuality goes against my values therefore i will not take part oh if it were so simple um but why can't we stop speculating about taylor and what agency does she have in those rumors so this takes us to part 2 which will be our media's part of the episode part 2 i don't want you like a best friend or Taylor Swift's sexuality. So, okay, given all the boundaries we tried to set for ourselves in part one, the entire premise of this episode is that there are many, many people who believe deeply that Taylor Swift is bi, queer, gay, whatever it is, not straight. For many people, this is an intensely held belief that actually takes on the form of any other kinds of fandom. So it's like, Selena Gomez has Selenators, Rihanna has her Navy, Taylor Swift has Swifties, and people who believe that Taylor is gay are gaylers. <laughs> and that's like, it's a, it's a subculture. Yeah, gaylers have a very specific part of the internet, like any subculture does. The values and norms of that part of the internet are very similar to the Swifties part. There's a deep respect for Taylor's artistic prowess, and there's an obsession with Taylor Swift's Easter eggs. And there's an obsessive analysis about every one of her lyrics, posts, TikToks, release dates, et cetera. Anything she puts out into the world is analyzed, which she does strategically. Yeah. And through that analysis, 
Scalers have found some serious evidence that Taylor Swift has dated women, some of whom are very famous women. Some of this evidence feels thin and circumstantial, depending on who you ask, though some of the evidence can make a lot of sense. So a listener named Dana put it this way. I appreciate this is a lot more complicated than that, but for Taylor, I personally always come back to the fact that it's Taylor, Easter egg queen who insists she doesn't do anything without a reason, constantly encourages fans to deep dive and and analyze the things she says and does in minute detail. What is that wig and you need to calm down if not actively trying to signal? I'm bisexual, so I'll admit some bias towards the fact that it would make me happy if she was. So for context, Dana is referring to a wig Taylor Swift wore in the music video that was essentially the colors of the bi pride flag. Um, and I, you know, I think this point is well taken because I do like to call Taylor the Riddler. Like if she were a villain in real life, she would be like a comic book Riddler type villain, which she just is like she just she's she's she goes sicko mode with her Easter eggs. I don't know. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, her Easter eggs are notorious and some are fairly easy to, to deduce, but some are clearly planned so carefully and are so tiny and so bizarre that she really has to be a bit of a mastermind be putting them together. So the evidence that people have found about her dating women combined with the speculation that Taylor invites into everything she does through her Easter eggs has created a strong narrative for people that she is not straight and that she has dated women, including Diana Aragon and Carly Kloss most famously. The evidence takes many forms, but most importantly, song lyrics. People also find evidence in her TikToks, Tumblr posts, Instagram posts, interviews, significant dates, even outfits, accessories, photo filters, the list goes on. So listener Hannah wrote, I am a queer person who feels weirdly invested in my belief that Taylor is queer and especially invested in her dating Carly and that it's really icky of me to think that much about it. So much of Taylor's music makes the most sense to me through a queer lens, and maybe that's a projection, but it just feels so right. A couple of major things I come back to. One, I think everything Taylor does is intentional. There are just so many themes, symbols, Easter eggs, etc., that point to queerness that I have trouble believing she's not trying to say something with all of it. And two, I do think that if she is queer, she won't come out because her coming out would essentially out the women she's been rumored to be linked to. Yeah, I think so much of this Taylor knows is bigger than her. So even if it's true, it's, yeah, it would be complicated for her to come out as, you know, a lot of people who are gaylers um, really think. Um, So what's tough is like, as with any rumor, as with any conspiracy theory, Um, there's a piece, there's like a kernel of truth to every piece of evidence that Gaylers can find, but that doesn't make the ultimate conclusion true. So like, you know, song lyrics, they're, they are the song lyrics, right? You can't debate whether or not these lyrics are there. You just can't debate what the reading of it is. Another example is, um, an infamous moment in Gaylor lore is called Kissgate. Um, so it's true that Taylor Swift and Carly Kloss were, uh, videoed and photographed um, in December 2014 at a 1975 concert, being very affectionate and kissing briefly. Also, this was happening during a song called Girls. Lol. Um, 
It's not clear, of course, that this was the inspiration for the song Dancing With Our Hands Tied. Like that's, you know, we don't know about that. Um, It is true that this moment did generate some serious backlash and speculation about the two of them. Um, Some people say that their public affection towards each other kind of died down after that moment. That part is unclear to me because 2015, I think they were like very public together, but it's, I don't know that I know some people who believe that that was like a a moment that really changed their, the public dimension of their relationship. I don't know, Mimi or Becky, if you have a thought about that moment. I think after, uh, 1989, I just, Taylor went also like less public with everything too, before reputation. So a part of me is like, was that just a time in her life where she just decided not to be like as out physically as she was before. Yeah, I don't know. It did. It did seem to really change anything. And we, and we just passed the anniversary of that. Today is December 5th, which I would not have known, but someone. I'm sorry, I don't remember who someone in our discord, I think, mentioned that. So all credit to you. Um, but yeah, she did really pull back for a couple years and you, right. I think, and you do wonder why, like all of 2015, she was like, kind of, I don't know, not reclusive, but reclusive for her, I guess. I think conventional wisdom points to the, um, Kim and Kanye of it all. And you have to wonder if there's this added dimension that would have just made it all too much too much to bear. But, um, I think that the Kim and Kanye of it all, um, putting her on blast, um, would have been enough to put anyone to, to have anyone kind of realize that they're being like that, that the overexposure had a price. Um, so I don't think that alone is like proof, but yeah, certainly, um, yeah, she changed her orientation to the public after these, these very public years. Listener Liz said, basically, as it says in the reputation is about Carly Kloss PowerPoint. If y'all can speculate these songs are about men, I'm allowed to speculate that they're about a woman. That being said, as a generalized practice needs to be assessed in individual scenarios, especially when people's religious family dynamics are again in the com- if the conversation isn't about proving that Taylor and Carly Kloss's Big Sur road trip was romantic and more of a queering our mindset around possible sexualities, then it can actually be a very, very fun. At the same time, I'm agnostic on whether individual people need to come need to come out, but there is some power in the media's representation, and it's important to track when people like Taylor might be profiting off queer baiting without personally implicating themselves. Her glad donation and support of the Equity Act were definitely good material support, but it uh, it was all undermined by the fact that you need to calm down was bad. I, I agree, Liz, and that's quite the take. Yeah. Um, in our discord conversation also, I thought folks were doing a really helpful job of differentiating between a queer interpretation of Taylor's texts and actually speculating about her love life. Like those are distinct. Um, listener Aaron wrote, I care a lot more about Taylor being a queer storyteller than being queer. And I thought that was such a good take. And a few folks in the discord really resonated with that. Um, I found it very, very helpful. I think the only other thing I'd add, and maybe this isn't the place for it, so feel to feel free to cut it out. But um, Hannah, you had recommended 
I think the second episode ever of the Tadar podcast where they talk about Taylor and Carly. And one of the things that they said was that in general, they don't, they're not saying anything definitively. They're like, all of this is alleged. And they also said in general, they don't like speculate about people's sexualities, celebrities, sexualities, but because of all the Easter eggs, it feels like she really wants us to or something. And I thought that was an interesting distinction, even though what we're saying here is like, we still shouldn't speculate. I do think there's like such a coalition of people who, who think about this with Taylor Swift and like, don't think about it with anyone else or like, don't care to, to get into it with anyone else. Um, And that that's interesting to me as part of this distinction between like Taylor being queer, fine, whatever. And then like being a queer storyteller and, and how powerful that can be. Or if she's not, then it's like, why is she doing this? Like, why is she the Riddler? What is her situation in her head? You know what I mean? Yes. And something that um, I want to continue covering throughout this episode is Taylor Swift knows what the public thinks about Taylor Swift, which means it's really hard to believe that she doesn't know this, that people are talking. I mean, this is like a really easy subculture to find yourself in to like to find information about. Um, So she knows about it, I, I think. So then like you have to ask yourself what. I mean, it just, yeah, it makes you like kind of really feel like you're wearing a tin foil hat on your head. But um, I think an example to illustrate this, um, that point you just made Mimi is a very recent example. And it's the reason why I put in the syllabus her Jimmy Fallon um, appearance for pro- the promotion of Red Taylor's version. So um, as another part of Gaylor lore, we've mentioned Kissgate. We're not going to mention like that many pieces of evidence because I think that's like kind of a slippery slope, Um, but a piece of Gaylor lore is um, the idea that uh, any themes of Alice in Wonderland have to do with Taylor Swift's alleged or supposed or believed relationship with Diana Agron. I think this is like early 2010s time. Diana Agron loved Alice in Wonderland. I believe that she even had an Alice in Wonderland tattoo that um, she, she got removed after these rumors got pretty big. So like, that's interesting. So there's all this stuff about Taylor, about Taylor Swift and Diana Agron and Alice in Wonderland. Of course, specifically the song called Wonderland. That would that's a pretty big a pretty big piece of this Gaylor lore. So this is like that's the kind of thing that comes up all the time in Gaylor pieces of the internet is Alice in Wonderland. Okay, that's that's item number one. Item number two is Exhibit B, I guess, as one would say, is this uh, uh, interview that she did with Jimmy Fallon a few weeks ago. And Jimmy Fallon asks her about her Easter eggs. And she's like, yeah, like I have a lot of Easter eggs. I plan things out three years in advance. I like whatever even. And then there's like, are there Easter eggs even in what she's saying about her Easter eggs right now? And the moment that made my brain just feel like it melted was she was like, she actually said something really smart. I thought she said, if you want to just listen to music and just have that be at face value, like go for it. That's what most people do. Just like listen to the music and enjoy it. And then she says something like, I didn't write it down exactly the quote. She said something like, but if you want to like dive 
you know, jump down the rabbit hole. Right. Yeah. Like, and then she's like, you know, come in, the water's fine. And then she's like, we're all mad here. And it's like, she's quoting Alice in Wonderland twice. Yeah. And for people who might believe that Wonderland is one of the fundamental, fundamental, like, tenets of this theory, it's like, oh, my God, she's saying, I'm asking you to read into my stuff. And I'm giving you a hint that one of your main theses is valid. Like that was pretty convincing for a lot of people. Yes. And the last thing I'll say on this for now, and I I may want to talk about this in our next episode a little bit more, is that she doesn't have to do any of this. Like she's so famous and so powerful that she could be one of those like very aloof artists like Beyonce has become. Where she just she just beams down, gives us some music and goes away again for a while. And the world stops when she decides to show up. But she I feel like she. Maybe stalks isn't the right word. Maybe that's like a very 2008 word. But with that caveat, she like stalks her fans as much as her fans stalk her, which is what you were saying, where she knows what we all think of her. And she's like very into that interaction, um, which I think is just very interesting because she does not need to do any of that at that point. She just wants to. You know, fans have a word for that for her. They call it taylorking. Oh, my God. I haven't heard that. That's Literally. <laughs> like she has such a history of lurking on all Taylor Swift corners of the Internet and showing her and showing up in different ways. They have a word for it. Taylorking. Yeah. Love that. She's so weird. She's so weird. Yeah. So at the very least, she's saying, read into everything. I'm here on Jimmy Fallon in 2021 saying, read into everything I do. So, you know, you don't have to come out the other side with a queer analysis. But if you do, you know, it's it's understandable. So that takes us to um, a very quick break. When we come back, a history of speculation about celebrity sexuality, including Shawn Mendes and David Bowie. We'll be right back. And we're back. Part three. The rumors are terrible and cruel, but honey, most of them are true. Ah, ah, ah. Or the history of speculation on celebrities' sexuality. Okay. So there is a paradox with celebrity, like the concept of celebrity, that we discuss frequently on this podcast, and that is the tension between respecting the agency that celebrities have to craft what we see and what we don't, and knowing that nothing is fully private when you are a public person. So what do I mean by that in terms of like crafting what we see and what we don't and the agency there? So I, I want to share an example of a private dimension of public people that is actually more public than we realize. That was a little convoluted. But an example is people often point to PR relationships between celebrities. So PR relationships are relationships between two celebrities almost always are exclusively straight people that enhances both of their standings. So to paint a picture, this is, this is a new concept for you. I'm actually not sure whether or not Taylor and Tom Hiddleston were together for real, but 
there are many people who believe that they were a PR relationship. And one of the biggest pieces of evidence that they cite is how much these two were seen out and about. They were together for only a few months, but it's unbelievable how many pictures we have of them. And to paint a con to, to share a contrast, like Joe and Taylor have been together for years. Joe Alwyn and Taylor have been together for years. And we've seen almost, we have like seriously almost no pictures of the two of them. So celebrities do kind of know how to be undetected if they want to be undetected. So often, if there is something we know about a celebrity, there is a high likelihood that they want us to know about this. Um, Mimi, I know you've been taking in a lot of information lately, but also over time about um, blind items and, and like this, you know, this concept these days. So is there anything you want to add about PR relationships? Yeah. So I've been listening to this podcast that came out this year, Beyond the Blinds with two queer podcasters, Troy and Kelly. Check it out. Um, it's I've learned a lot about blind items and a lot about PR relationships from like the blinds that they that they read on there. And so more on that later. But in terms of PR relationships, I think it's important to note that they exist on a spectrum or like an alignment chart or however you want to think of it. But there can be a real relationship within the PR relationship. So maybe they're good friends. Maybe they hooked up. Maybe they hate each other and like none of the above, et cetera. And there are also many reasons for the PR relationship and the ways that it's beneficial. So whether it's obscuring their sexualities or generating publicity and furthering their careers in some other way, maybe they have like a, a, a project coming out together or something like that. Um or if their career needs new life, breathe into it, or if they're trying to get away from recent bad press. So Hannah, like you said, it's like leaning toward PR when they're popped all the time. They have paparazzi photos like every day, every week, especially if there's a lot of PDA. If they look really happy to see the paparazzi and they look put together and they look right at the camera, which is also hilarious to me. Because they're, it's like, who do you think you're fooling? Um, but they are fooling people. So, uh, and it leans towards um, a PR relationship if they have something to promote together, if they're trying to distract from a scandal, if there are a lot of quote unquote insider quotes that spill details. So, more on that later. Um, but some examples of alleged. PR relationships for various reasons in recent memory are Sean Mendes and Camila Cabello. More on that later too. Taylor Swift and Harry Styles, Justin Timberlake and Jessica Biel, Pete Davidson and Kim Kardashian, Ben Affleck and JLo round two, not the 2004 version and Nick Jonas and Priyanka Chopra for sure. So I think that the PR relationships um, uh, kind of like mentality, I do think is a dimension of this conversation is important to introduce to us because it we do have to know whether or not these individual couples you just mentioned, Mimi, have or have not been together for real. It's important to know that like this is a this is a thing 
that has existed exists and will continue to exist in Hollywood, whether or not the individual um, relationships are designed for PR. Um, and this makes it really hard to know how to interact with what we see. So um, uh, one of our listeners, Liz, who was quoted um, earlier in this episode and who is also like a literal sociologist, like Dr. Liz, um, said something about this that I think is really um, insightful. She said, so any celebrity news or speculative reporting from paparazzi is subjective and up to us for interpretation. This, of course, leads to a lot of exploitative and destructive coverage, especially thinking about Princess Diana and Amy Winehouse, et cetera. But just from a purely, epi- I knew I was going to mess up this word, epistemological standpoint, we can accept that gossip re- pre- presents a different form of evidence and information than fact-based news reporting. And with that as a starting point, this speculation can be generative and subversive and empowering if it challenges heteronormative assumptions. I'm thinking about those headlines of in the media calling women best friends when they're actually dating or married or the long history of coded language around stigmatized sexuality like confirmed bachelor or other ways the media erases gayness. So I think we need to get I think we need to back up a little bit. Um, Can we get some history on this, Mimi and Becky? I think Mimi to start. Let's talk about it vaguely and then a little specifically. And also, Liz, I can't wait for your tome on this. Really looking forward to it. Get to work. Okay. So in celebrity culture and media, there is, of course, a long history of homophobia, of bearding and blind items that track famous people who may obscure their sexuality for one reason or another. It could be internalized homophobia external homophobia that brings a lot of fear and constraints to their lives and careers. And of course, it's all scalable depending on the circumstance. Something that seems less common as of the 2010s, but very common for a long time is celebrities concealing their sexualities well into adulthood or or their whole lives because of perceived or real repercussions of coming out, that it might endanger them or isolate their fan base or bar them from certain roles in Hollywood, which is a place that was or is still very heteronormative on the surface. But what I've learned from Beyond the Blinds and other like nuggets of wisdom like that is that it's allegedly, I'll say, a very fluid place and practice. And so I feel like this fear and dichotomy is like most common with leading man roles. Um, but maybe that is also kind of a, I don't, I don't know how true that actually is. It just seems like the most obvious, um, like risk of, of being barred from a certain role or isolating a fan base or whatever. So whatever the case may be, since at least the golden age of Hollywood, 80 plus years ago, Many celebrities have found beards, a.k.a. usually other celebrities of the opposite sex willing to be in a PR relationship with them to ostensibly prove their straightness to support the persona they aim to maintain in the public eye. And often, like they may be besties willing to sustain the charade of a romantic relationship and or both of these people will be queer because that's more convenient. So for instance, there are a million blind items about Jake Gyllenhaal's sexuality and why he and Taylor were great beards for each other. And there, and there are some that have nothing to do with her, but he is like 
such a blind item for decades. So let's talk about blind items a little more. And this is a slight, it's, it's important for like this conversation around speculation, but it is a slight tangent because although there are a million blinds about Taylor Swift, we don't need any of them because of her Easter eggs. So like a lot of people just don't even engage with them, but for other people, um, they do. So for anyone who may not know, blind items are anonymous tips about these real or fake relationships or more broadly about a certain celebrity's public versus private image that they wouldn't want you to know about. So it could be like something uh, unsavory they did at a party or it doesn't have to be about their sexuality, but often it is. And they're vague yet specific gossip, which is sometimes fun and sometimes bad. I think blinds became super popular as a guessing game in the 90s tabloid culture. Then in the 2000s, moved to online gossip columns or sites like Ted Casablanca's um, E! News column or Crazy Days and Nights. And now they're experiencing a resurgence on social media, especially Instagram with accounts like Dumois and Diet Prada. Uh, blinds used to be sort of bottom of the barrel celebrity journalism that just fuels speculation where they're like, they still do this, but they'll be like this A minus pop star, like blah, 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 and more details, but still vague. Um, but they can provide real insight, which is great to know in case a celebrity is bad and we should actually be condemning them like Harvey Weinstein, like turns out there are many blinds about him being predatory and that that was an open secret. And one thing I learned, another thing I learned from Beyond the Blinds is not to take just one blind item at face value. But if there's a consistent string of blinds over the course of years or even decades, there's a good chance there's some truth involved. I think like Leah Michelle being a nightmare on set is probably the safest example to talk about on here because it's now reached like real public knowledge. And we've talked about it before this sort of like consistent um, reaffirmation through blind items. Moving on to the music industry specifically, even though so many artists are queer, homophobia still exists across genres. And this leads to more speculation. For instance, now let's talk about rumors around Sean Mendez for a minute without speculating ourselves. So since he became popular in the mid-2010s, there's basically been a growing coalition of people who say he's closeted, and there have been many lines about this. And it seems like for some people, speculating about Sean started as a running gag or like quote-unquote wishful thinking because, importantly, he always insists he's straight and is frustrated by the rumors. But he started dating... Camilla Cabello in 2019, and she was instantly considered his beard. And that sort of backfired because it seemed to like enhance the rumor. Um, and their like seemingly extremely amicable breakup recently did not help, where they were like, We were always great friends and we are still great friends. Like that, <laughs> like, okay. Um, a couple other examples of why people thought she was his beard given what we talked about earlier with PR relationships, just to like play this out in an example in 2021, two years after the release of their duet Senorita in 2019, they were still promoting it, which is like unusual. 
but maybe it's because of the pandemic and they didn't have other stuff going on. So they were like, let's continue to promote this. And maybe not. And then the photos or videos actually of their quarantine driveway walks in Q1 of the pandemic did not do him any favors. Those were really, really strange and looked really staged. And if you have, you've probably seen them, but if you haven't, I would suggest potentially typing it into to YouTube, just Sean Camilla quarantine driveway walks and watch a 30 second video just to see what's going on. Um, so yeah, all of that said, speculation around Sean is is different from Taylor, I think, because he may have blinds, but he does not leave Easter eggs. And he clearly wants everyone to stop speculating about his sexuality. So they should, for sure, just leave him alone. But at the same time, some people really bought this relationship. Um, I went to the Senorita music video. I was like, what's going on here in the comments? And a top recent YouTube comment set was like, it was beautiful while it lasted with like hundreds of faves. So we are all really living in our own universes here with all of these celebrities and, and what we think of them. And this is just one of many examples of that. Yeah. And one example I'm going to talk about quickly, and I honestly, upon doing more research, I think it deserves way more time than the amount of time I'm going to give it, which is very minimal, but uh, predating Sean Mendez is David Bowie, who I think is a little bit, if not a big difference than Taylor and the speculation around his sexuality. There are a lot of mainstream attention centered around his sexuality and preferences, which unlike Taylor, I would argue many of her fans, you don't even know about the Taylor speculation. It's a, a very small subset of her fandom. And he contributed a ton to queer culture in ways I don't think maybe Taylor thinks she has what you need to calm down, but hasn't. He dressed in drag and he used queerness as a type of performance. And some could argue that that was queer baiting, which is something that Taylor does, which is what J. Brian Louder wrote in Slate. As a veritable innovator of gay style, Bowie seemed to be a natural fit in this category. You can't appropriate what you help create. He may have bucked or played coy with identity labels, persuading our modern situation quite well, but especially at the beginning of his career, he was recognizably quote unquote gay culturally, culturally speaking, I think it's a label he deserved. And so what this author is referring to in 1972, David Bowie literally told journalist Michael Watts in 1972 that he was gay and always have been, even when I was David Jones, which was his name at birth. 11 years later though, in an article for Rolling Stone titled straight time, David Bowie called this declaration of announcing that he was gay, the biggest mistake he ever made. Um, so unlike Taylor, you have David Bowie's actually speaking about his sexuality, even though you can from there sort of like question what he meant or what he was saying, it's different in that he's like actively talking about it. Although his responses throughout the years about it were never clear cut. We also can't forget that he had a wife and kids, which doesn't mean he's not gay or didn't identify as gay at some point in his life, but he did present to the world in a hetero relationship that we know of. And even in 1993, uh, he doubled down saying, I think I, I think I was a closeted heterosexual. I didn't even ever feel that I was a real bisexual. It was a thing. I, 
it was like I was making all the moves down to the situation of actually trying it out with some guys. I wanted to improve Ziggy with real flesh and blood and muscle. And it was imperative that I find Ziggy and be him. The irony of it was that I was not gay. I was physical about it, but frankly, it wasn't enjoyable. It was almost like I was testing myself. It wasn't something I was comfortable with at all, but it had to be done. So I think it's a totally different conversation than with Sean Mendez and with Taylor Swift. And it's way more about queer baiting and cultural queer identity than these two. So I, I didn't want to get a little bit further because I think it can open up a larger conversation and make this podcast five hours. But it is it is something to note when talking about um, the history of yeah, questioning celebrities' identities and blind items, et cetera. Yeah. And it's just important for us to know as we, as we think about this with Taylor is that like, she is one of many, many celebrities whose sexuality has been speculated about in both like very public ways and also in different corners, you know, like in corners of the internet now, but also like back in the day, there's, there's corners of anywhere that people are going to be doing the speculation. And there is like real work being done by the PR industry to shape a specific narrative like that. We're not people who speculate about Taylor Swift sexuality are not making that up. They're not like putting, they're not like creating a new dynamic that has only been true for Taylor Swift. Yes. Agreed. All right. Part four, our final part about the ethics of speculating about Gaylor. Even in my worst lies, you saw the truth of me. Or what we feel like we can know for certain. Like, what do we actually know? So Taylor puts out Easter eggs, and she also is deeply aware of every Taylor Swift theory about her on the internet, especially through forays like Tumblr and TikTok. It feels really clear that Taylor at least knows about this theory. I should say, like, that is speculation, but it's just like, there's no way. There's no way she doesn't know. So hard to think that she doesn't know. Right. It's either she knows or she has like a huge blind spot, which feels impossible given how planned out and calculated everything is that she so either way, it's meaningful. I've thought um, about it like maybe even the Tay lurking. We you know when we say that she's like lurking around the internet, that maybe it's possible that actually she has folks who are filtering for her and somehow are like curating. Like I could imagine if like, maybe it was like 2013, 2014 and Taylor Swift hired, this is my, this is now actually like full tin hat speculation where she like hired a PR team and was like, I want to lurk with my fans, but this is a specific rumor that makes me feel sad and stressed out. Can you like spend time on the internet curating me some, some things to look at and like everything she looks at is filtered through others that has been like my only explanation yeah becky's shaking her head like it's just it's really hard to imagine interesting interesting what we do know is that there's a potential for a queer reading of taylor's body of work so from listener erin again i quote I'm a lesbian and I admittedly had no interest in Taylor until I discovered Gaylor. I do think the whole movement of it is more about doing queer readings of her music than speculating on her actual personal life. Regardless of whether or not she is bi, she writes intentionally and her lyrics reflect queer themes again and again. I think it's something that allows a lot of fans in 
to her otherwise very heteronormative music. So obviously queer people are going to latch onto it. I finally, quote unquote, get the hype of being a Swifty because I can picture myself in her songs. We also know that there is a history of celebs being forced to stay in the closet or choosing to remain in the closet, even if there is an open secret. And mostly we know that we will never know everything about any person, especially celebrities. Even if we have developed a very deep parasocial relationship with them, an obsession with them, like we don't know. As Taylor Swift herself wrote in 2017 in her album notes for Reputation, we think we know someone, but the truth is that we only know the version of them they have chosen to show us. And I think that's a good place for us to end. So that's it for speculation. So let's wrap up with our new favorite segment. What are you listening to? Mimi, Becky, what are you listening to? Um, I have been really loving the TV show, The Sex Lies with College Girls. That's on HBO Max and it has a really good soundtrack. So I find myself after every episode being like, what was that music? So thanks to Spotify who put together a playlist. It's good. Nice. I recommend the show. It's very cute. Is it, does it take place like now or, okay. Yeah. It's, it's Mindy Kaling's new show. Got it. And it takes place at a college, but it was shot on Vassar's campus and it's cool. It's good. Which is also a college, but not the college that they No, It's Essex and also Timothy Chalamet's sister is in it. And they managed to make her look not pretty. It's weird. She's very pretty, but they have her wearing an awful haircut. Well, that's unfortunate. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know really what I've, I mean, I've been listening to, I guess I've probably been listening to like my Spotify wrapped playlist, which is boring. A boring answer anyway. Um, and some other things, but I don't want to give those away because they may hint at our next episode so yeah boring answer hannah what are you listening to wink wink mimi's dropping easter eggs <laughs> um yeah it's i think it's a i think it's a power move to listen to your own spotify raft um yesterday we had a small hanukkah gathering for uh logan's family and logan was like yeah i think that for the music tonight we're just going to play my spotify rap because it's i was like great logan like that's a power move that's so funny (laughs) um i have been listening to um the soundtrack for tick tick boom which is a musical i didn't know at all even though i always knew it was like in the ether but um it's by jonathan larson who was the creator the writer and creator of rent Um, and they, and he made up this like autobiographical musical before rent was big. And also before he died very suddenly and tragically at a young age. So it's like this musical that on, on its face is, I think it's, I really like it. I like rent. So it sounds kind of similar and on its face is really great, but also has like injected or I guess put up, put on it, like all this other meaning because it's about him, like trying to make it. And you know, that he does. And then you like, it's also about him trying to like make the most of his time and you know that he dies very young. So it's like, yeah, I really like it. I like the music. Did you guys see the Netflix movie of it? No, but I, I've been told to watch it. Yeah, same. 
I'd really like to watch it. Um, and that sounds, that sounds great and really like touching and sad because he, yeah, in a way he, I assume he did know he made it and in another way, like he did not because he died suddenly, I think the night before Rent premiered on Broadway, which is nuts. On Off-Broadway. Off-Broadway. Absolutely nuts. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And Andrew Garfield is so charming. That's good. Yeah, he had a really nice thing to say about grief and the grieving process on Jimmy Fallon I watched. Yes. Or is it Seth Meyers, one of the late night shows? It was really beautiful. Oh, I saw that too. I, which one was it? I want to say it's Seth Meyers. I think it's it Seth didn't Meyers. feel grating in a way that like Jimmy Fallon's reaction would just like bother me probably. Yeah. So yeah, that checks out. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I'm listening to. I'm enjoying it. Cool. Wonderful. So that's our show, but we always say this, but I know this time we mean it. It's not the end of this conversation. This conversation began in a, in a, you know, part of our internet on the, on the discord. And I'm sure it will continue there too. We can't wait to hear what you think. If you have a second and you'd like to support us, we'd love if you would leave us a review on Apple podcasts or your podcast app of choice. It really means a lot to us when you do and helps us a lot. And until next time, bye everyone. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the B-Sides podcast. We want to connect with you. Check out the show notes to find our Instagram, Twitter, and join our Facebook group where you can link up with us and other progressives who love pop. Please take a minute to subscribe, rate, and review if you haven't already, and consider supporting the B-Sides on Patreon. Until the next time we cut to the feeling, I'm Mimi. I'm Becky. I'm Hannah. 